are going to take a look this week at uh, the canon. So this is our third week in our study. And we are going to um, start, though, by taking a look at the scripture, 1 Peter. And you see it on your, um, on your handout there. If you have your word, go ahead and turn to that word. And then we will... Um, unpack this a little bit as we as we get started. So we see here, let's read it, uh, and then and, and let's, let's deal with this a little bit. So it says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. First Peter 1, 10 through 12. This is a beautiful example of the New Testament reflecting back on the Old Testament and showing how the New Testament has in some ways fulfilled the Old Testament. And there is this idea, I love this, that, that the scripture was given, the Old Testament, these prophecies, as it says, it says, when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah, and he says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Isn't that beautiful? That God in that time saw it fit that he would reveal himself and his plan to a particular people, and the message was for those who had yet come. Yet, it is all tied into the gospel, he says. He says, but those, uh, but those who have, he says, when they spoke of these things that you have now been told, you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so that is the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is that God has done something in time to bring about our salvation. It was prophesied, it was foretold, but it was also executed in time. And we have the scriptures that declare that that's exactly what God was doing. And so we're going to take a look uh, today at canon. We're going to make a few different stops here. Um, but I want to start out here with this, this question here. So, uh, or actually, it's not a question, but it's a critical assertion. It, it, where, did our, where did our canon come from? Okay, so this quote says, While most people think that the 27 books of the New Testament are the only sacred writings of the early Christians... This is not at all the case. This is from Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is a critical scholar. Uh, he, he went to our conservative universities. He's been trained as we are trained and for whatever reason is in direct opposition um, to what we would believe in. And he, he, he's what we would call a positive uh, evangelist for the other side. He's, he's not just saying, you know what, I disagree with you. He's made it his agenda, his point to go around and speak at universities, to have debates, um, to sway people's opinion. He wants to convince us uh, that we, we do not have good reason for trusting in the word of God that we have, that, that there are all sorts of errors. He claims that there are over 400,000 errors in our Bibles uh, within the old manuscripts. And he says that that's, that's way more than there are letters in the Greek New Testament. And 
okay, we'll talk more about this later when we get into the reliability issue. But just just to throw just to throw this out there, what is what is he saying? Is it true? Do we have lots and lots of variances within the old text? Yes, but let me give you an example real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into this whole canon thing. But I think it's important um, to set the stage here with kind of going back to that idea of, of remember that we had inerrancy and infallibility. But let's say that we have uh, a text right here, and then I'm going to compare it to all of these other texts. So I've got one text here, and then this says something. And then these all say the same thing, but this one is a little bit different, okay? Well, that difference could be a very, very small grammatical thing. It could be a comma. It could be a misspelling. It could be, it could be anything, but technically it qualifies as a variant. Well, how many variants? Well, it's really only one, but compared to what? Because if all three of these agree with one another, but then this one disagrees, then we technically would have three. And so when you have 400,000, that's, that's just because the exponential growth when you're comparing one deviation to all the others that don't have the exact same deviation. <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything. And so it's, it's, I don't, I'm not going to say it's dishonest, but it's not really the real picture of what we're talking about here, okay? So, but he's, his claim here is less about that. He makes that claim in other places. His claim here is he says that while most people think that the 27 books of the New Testament are the only sacred writings of the early Christians, this is not at all the case. So he's wanting us to do what? what is, what's the question that he's begging? Yeah, the, yeah, the canon, the canon doesn't accurately reflect uh, everything that there is that could be reflected in early Christianity. What is he, what is he implying that there's more, isn't there? Okay, you've got some of the books; those are good, but twenty-seven that isn't all that there were, right? And so that's what he's implying, and, and he 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 makes it his his life work to to argue for those types of things. Um, we will watch a little bit of him next week, uh, but right now, I just want that floating around in your head. But this major question is, who chose these 66 books? So I have right here an old Bible. This saying, if you want to, you can come pick it up later. It's a, a 1867, um, and it has the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Apocrypha. So if you haven't seen one of those, it's kind of fun to look at. Um, and it's in the old King James, so Paul can appreciate it. I've got some Geneva Bible. I've got this. This is a little leaf right here from a 1642 King James. I've got some uh, 1500 Geneva leaves in here. If you're interested in checking those out, this is a 1700s um, Luther Bible. It's in German, so good luck reading that. Um, but this is really cool stuff. And when you really get into this stuff. Uh, you, you really, you, for me, you fall in love with it, and you just look at how God's word has been preserved over time, and how precious, how precious it has been to people in the past. It's really easy for us to take it for granted. You know, I've got it on my phone right here. Man, I love the paper. I love, I love that. Um, this is really convenient. Takes up little space. Travels easy. But this is, this is something different. And when you look at this Bible, especially you'll see some really amazing work inside there. Um, some beautiful pictures and images, all this stuff from way back when, when that was treasure, okay? Um, and then this other one here, the Geneva, uh, there's, they would go through and highlight items. Can you see that there's, there's red around that? 
that would be part of uh, their process of fancying up their word. Um, and they just saw it as treasure. They saw it as precious. And so it's kind of cool. But this question is, the 66 books. Why these 66 books? Who chose these 66 books? Have you ever heard anybody tell you um, that the Bible is simply the product of political power in the leaders of the past? Have you ever heard that before? I hear that all the time. And they'll say, yeah, those books were voted on by a bunch of people long ago who happened to be in power at that time. If people today voted on them, maybe we would have a different 66 books. Okay. Well, let's, 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 just, let's explore that a little bit. All right. So another question is, did God ever intend for the church to have a canon? Some would say, that's an, that's an invention by man. Uh, God gave us the word, but he didn't really mean for us to put them all together and only hold them to these things. Some people would say that. So we ask the question, did God intend for the church to have a canon? Is the canon simply the product of political and religious power struggles of man? What about the other inspired books that are not in the canon? And this is one that I hear very frequently. That, that, that you, they would say, what about the other books? What other books? When you say other books, what, do you, what are you talking about? What other books? Um, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So this video that I'm about to show you, I'm going to show you the first uh, 11 minutes and then we're going to stop it. This video is going to say some things that are true and a lot of things that are not true. So get your, get your brains in gear here. Um, I do not want to lead you astray. And you're going to hear some stuff that's crazy. And I want you to hear it because we're going to talk through it. Uh, but you've got to really separate the, the, the good stuff from the bad. All right, And we'll, we'll do our best to walk through some of these things here. The basic premise of this video is not uncommon of what you would see uh, on the History Channel or on any other secular production where it says, you know what? There's some new books that have been found. And because of the power struggles that, that were in the history of the church, these books didn't get entered in. They're going to say all sorts of wild stuff in here. But they're also going to sprinkle some truth through here. And that's what's really dangerous. If it's all just a bold-faced lie or misleading, it's easier to separate it. But when it's sprinkled in and woven in with a lot of truth, there's some historical truth in here. Um, but we're going we're gonna to wrestle through this real quick. And uh, we'll try to answer some of the assertions. So sit back. 11 minutes. I think it'll be worth our time to invest in. But don't buy it all. Christian tradition says there are four Gospels. Archaeologists say there are more, many more, and banned by the early church. Why is it these newly discovered scriptures, and why have they forbidden for centuries? Winter 1886. French archaeologists dig for artifacts in the Christian section of a cemetery in Upper Egypt. Suddenly, they make a discovery. What they uncover is the long-forgotten grave of a monk buried in the 8th century. But the real find is what the monk is taking with him to the next world. Those who buried the monk apparently took this little papyrus book and put it with the monk. So that in a way he could go into the next 
this life with one of his favorite books. It includes not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it includes the Gospel of Peter. The book apparently is an actual gospel, a first-hand account of the life of Jesus, yet the text claims to have been written by the Apostle Peter. For nearly 2,000 years, everything Christians knew about Jesus came from the Gospels of the Christian Bible, accounts by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Could this be an actual lost account of the life of Jesus, written by Simon Peter, the hand-picked leader of the apostles? The discovery set off shockwaves throughout the world of biblical scholarship, and that shockwave continues as new Gospels, lost Gospels, emerge from numerous archaeological things. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and even the Gospel of Judas. The discovery of the lost Gospels also reveals a secret battle, now forgotten but once fought. A battle for the soul of Christianity. On the one side is a devout group calling for a direct spiritual relationship with God, with their own set of Gospels. On the other side, a growing hierarchy of Orthodox Christianity that accepts only four Gospels. The result of this battle would determine the future of Christianity. Eventually making it 
to harness this new religion in order to unify the Roman Empire that was falling apart. At that time, Christianity was a loosely organized religion, a collection of churches with diverse beliefs and diverse scriptures. The emperor intended to change that. In 325 AD, Emperor Constantine convenes the Council of Nicaea to decide the basic tenets of Christianity. He brings together the most powerful church leaders from around the world to discuss legalizing a formal Christian religion. What an interesting thing is, it becomes clear that what he is primarily interested is in unity. He wants the Christian religion to provide the ideological basis for the empire. The goal of Constantine's council was to unify the faith, both religiously and politically. After weeks of debate, the various bishops and priests agree on a set of principles that unify all of Christianity and place the religion firmly under the control of the emperor. And he then used his authority to say, okay, guys, this is it. Things got drastically changed under Constantine. We have a complete redefinition of how God is to be understood seeks to use the religion for its own purposes, to unify everything, because they can't have much dissent in a state. Constantine also unified the Christian Gospels and limited the Gospels he considered fit for the state religion. Though the Nicene Council did not officially decide on the content of the Christian Bible, Constantine made it clear which Gospels he considered acceptable.
The Gospel of Peter was the first lost gospel discovered in centuries, suggesting the existence of a secret history of forbidden scriptures. In 1945, a remarkable discovery unearthed a large collection of lost gospels and changed forever the history of Christianity. So we'll stop there. It's actually a really interesting little video. You can YouTube get in. You can get in trouble doing this, but you, look look this stuff up if you want. You can find that on YouTube. As you saw, I had the link. Um, goes into all sorts of crazy stuff. Okay, but I want to stop. That was a lot of information in eleven minutes. Anybody have any comments, questions, or concerns after seeing that? Anything stick out to you right away that you kind of felt like, hmm, here's where I would start. Excuse me? How did a dead man write one? Ooh, okay. I think you're talking about Peter? Judas? Okay. That's a good one, too. I thought of Peter, too. The Gospel of Peter. If, Peter, if the Gospel of Peter is written in the 200s, uh, <laughs> got a disconnect there. But that's a great point. The Gospel of Judas. Okay. Maybe he wrote it before he died. No, we see these aren't first century writings. Okay, anything else? How do we know they're real? Okay, though they found them, they can hold them. <laughs> ooh, ooh. There's not multiple copies? Okay, but what if, let me play devil's advocate, what if they did find a lot more copies of those Gnostic Gospels? <laughs> How do they know they're real? Okay, all right. Prove to you. Uh, someone said a different Jesus. Who, who said that? Yes. Is that an important nerve to poke at? <laughs> I think so. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. How about the whole Constantine thing? Have you ever heard that before? I'd heard that many times before. Constantine's the one who did all of this. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, people will say, you know, when the church, the church, uh, you know, got in bed with the government. And uh, in some ways, that's true. In some, ways, in some ways, under Constantine, there was this relationship that was started. Um, and we do see through the Roman Catholic Church that it, that it kind of continued. And we see some interesting things going there. And we would say that that wasn't right, that, that, that there should be technically a separation of church and state in some of those ways. Okay, um, But what was their claim? Does anyone remember what their specific claim was? What did Constantine do? They said, they said he did a couple of things. One is, as we just said, he, he, he gave us the Bible, right? He, he says, well, while Nicaea didn't officially you know, claim this was the canon, he says he, he gave his 50 copies of the Bible that contained only the Gospels he thought should be in there, which were the four Gospels we have. What was the other claim? Anyone catch it? State religion, okay, yes. And in some ways, that was true because it did become uh, part of the, you know, Political power struggle it included that Christianity was recognized by the state, but but what did what did he what was the claim that was specific to the church? Unify the church. Constantine wanted to do us a favor. Saw that we were disorganized and needed some help. Constantine got together a bunch of his buddies in 325, and after long, long hours of, of deliberation, uh, they formed this document that set in stone what Christianity is from this day forward. Is that true or false? Hope you, hope, yeah, hope that's not a hard one. Any, anyone familiar with the Council of Nicaea? Anyone remember roughly what that was about? Yeah, you, you want to you give us a shot? Perfect. Okay. So specifically, it had to do with the nature of Christ, which is, in essence, when we start talking about the Trinity, um, there was a particular uh, heretic named Arius, and he, he, he argued that Jesus Christ is not co-eternal with God, and he is not divine. Uh, and so, like we said last week, we got into that whole thing, we can't get into this week with Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, that they, who they believe Jesus is. Well, Arius believed that Jesus isn't God. Uh, he can become God uh, a way in a way through that modalistic monarchianism, you know, that type of stuff. But the Council of Nicaea got together to say, you know what, we've got to answer the heretics on this, that Jesus is 100% God. He truly is God. That's what the Council of Nicaea was about. Uh, and so when you, study, when you study the Council of Nicaea, it had nothing to do with standardizing the doctrines of early Christianity beyond that. So they said, what does the Bible say? What can we infer from the Bible? And so we, if, you, if you have the Nicene Creed, if you read the Nicene Creed, you'll see exactly what it's addressing. And it's not addressing anything else besides the divinity of Christ. Later on, there's other councils that would then talk about his humanity and, and, and all of that. Uh, and therefore, we today would say Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And there were councils that struggled with those things. So councils would get together and, and hash those things out. And that's cool. And that's great. Uh, Council of Nicaea, the divinity of Christ. That was it. That was what was on the table. That's what was being debated. At the end of that council, uh, Arius was kicked out. We're saying, nope, you're not, you're not one of us anymore. Yes, sir. Um, I don't really know. I don't know how that got popularized. Um, I, I can conjecture, and this is just my opinion, because I've never, I don't think, I've, I've never read someone to give me a real explanation of, of how that happened beyond the fact that the story is true 
Constantine supposedly had this vision. I don't know if he did or not, but this is how the story goes, and everyone kind of says, yeah, that's what he says happened. He has this vision, uh, and then he puts the towel, he puts the cross on his shields and on his armor and all these things, and now he's he's a warrior of God, and, and Roman army is, is, is an extension of the, the arm of God. Um, so he has this personal experience that obviously was something. I don't know exactly what it was, but he was then... Uh, interested in Christianity, and so then he did get involved. Um, but it, but it was not it was not like we think of it as the state is now going to come down and hand us what we should believe. Those guys, if you know anything about those guys, like Athanasius is, was one of them. There's a famous saying, Athanasius against the world. This this guy was he was a, he was a tough dude, um, and he ended up getting excommunicated for some of his beliefs. But they were right. But he was against the church for a while. Then the church recognized him, you know, try to bring him, you know what I mean? So these guys were not going to sit down under Constantine and like, oh, come tell us what to believe. Totally different. I mean, not going to happen. And it isn't what happened. So beyond that, I don't know how all that started, but he did take a genuine interest in Christianity, and he did have some influence in getting the Council of Nicaea set up, and he did have tremendous influence in making it the legalized religion of the, the state, so to speak. Um, but beyond that, he did not come help little poor Christianity uh, <laughs> get their ducks in a row. He did not come and help poor little Christianity decide on which books should be in the Bible. Anybody else have any comments or questions on that? We're going to... Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so he, he, if you couldn't hear him, he's saying that that you know people will claim the, well, the Bible was written by men, and 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 well, one of the one of the motivations that the devil has, and probably his primary motivation, is to derail us. He wants us to doubt. Um, so I would agree with that. Let's take a look here. So I wrote down some of the claims. All right. One of the claims that was put, in, uh, put forth in that video says the early church was loosely organized and had diverse beliefs and scriptures. That was one of the explicit claims from that, that video we just watched. Uh, anybody have any problem with that claim? Let's start out with the first assertion. The church was loosely organized. Anybody have anything to... If someone came up to you and said, hey... The early church was loosely organized and they had diverse beliefs in scriptures. What would what would be what you would say? How would you respond to that? This is a safe place. We're, you know, we're learning here. Okay. So what? Okay. Awesome. That's a great. And 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 why would you say that? And I agree with you, but I want to I want to I want to hear your your thought. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Great. That's great. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, the idea is, is he's saying is so what? What if it was? Even if we gave you that, what does it, it do? But what he also added, which I think is important, 
is that there is clear evidence of organization. Uh, we know very early on Peter, James, and John were the early leaders of the church. Paul comes along. Anybody heard of Paul before? <laughs> Going and setting up churches? Ever heard of, of, of his uh, letters to Timothy on how those things should run? I mean, come on. Have you read the New Testament? That is exactly what we're talking about. When we say, was the church loosely organized? We'll define loosely. I love, I forgot your first name. Walter Waters, I know, is the last. Ben. Ben, ben hit the nail on the head. What are you comparing it to? Are you comparing it to this big government? Okay, by comparison, maybe it's loosely organized. Maybe it's not the full Roman Catholic Church yet. But that has nothing to say with what they actually did and what they actually believed. Because they did have organization. They did have pastors, preachers. We, we know that. We know that from the scriptures. Is that some, some were given to be uh, apostles and prophets and, and pastors teaching, right? Uh, to equip the servants for the work, uh, for the building up of the body of Christ, right? We, we, we know this. This is what they did. And we know that these people maybe had some diverse beliefs, but the diversity was not what they're trying to say. Remember we talked about um, early on, what was, the, what was the number one theme that we would say all of early Christianity would agree on? And it's the theme of the Bible. <laughs> wow, better get this one right, right? Who's Jesus? Christology. The Old Testament points to it. The New Testament points to it. Christology. Who is Jesus? That was not up for debate like they're saying. Did we have to refine some points over time, you know, to, to answer some of these heretics? Yes. But largely, we would say there, there may have been diversity, but orthodoxy reigned. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's get on this next one. Constantine organized Christianity. For the sake of time, I'm just going to say that that's absolutely wrong. He did not organize Christianity. Let's just do a little math. When was Constantine? When was the Council of Nicaea? Anyone remember? 325. Oh, my God. 325. Okay, so they're going to use this logic on us. Let's play it backwards. Uh, time of Christ, he died roughly 33 AD. Excellent. All right, and they're going to say, uh, hey, we didn't even get the Gospels uh, until way later. And you, 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 did you, anyone pick up, if you remember your notes from last week, we said the Gospel of Mark is probably around, most scholars believe, 66 AD. And what did they do? They went all the way up. They rounded up to 70. Okay, no big deal. Went to 70. But then when, did they, when they went back, they said 40 years after Jesus Christ. <laughs> so then they're going to the bottom end of this. Do you see that? Whatever. Doesn't really matter. But let's, let's, say, let's say we got uh, the Gospel of Mark here, 66 AD. Awesome. We got all the other ones. And remember we said the New Testament closed as far as what we would uh, consider were, the, were the, the, the books that were in there, the 27 books that we have, they closed within the first uh, century, right? So Revelation, roughly, most people would agree, 95 AD, all right? How much time is there between these two points? A long, a long time, isn't, hasn't there? Ha has the church been operating? Has the church been growing? Has the church seen many, many leaders come up? Can we go back and look at those leaders? Can we read their stuff? Absolutely. 
Uh, man, we, we, we could go on and on. You know, look at the, look at the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It has lots of stories of these people and what they were doing. And, and as Ben pointed out, the Roman church was persecuting this little unorganized. <laughs> so, okay, did Constantine organize Christianity? No. He's way too far removed to have organized Christianity. Christianity was well on its way, doing its thing, long before Constantine ever showed up on the scene. That is, I'm just going to say that as an outright lie. You will not find that in the history books. I don't know why they said that. I think it was kind of what they're trying to spin it, but they said he did that, and that's not true. Also, they say the Bible is a product of power, not faith. Does anyone remember that little section? The Bible is a product of... Not faith, but power. What would you say to that? Because that's something people say all the time. Oh, the Bible you have, yeah, that was, uh, that's political power struggle. Well, how we, how we should start with that is we, we need to ask, well, what power? <laughs> because if we're assuming it didn't happen until 325, <laughs> <laughs> then we're already off, aren't we? What power? Which power? We need to define which power gave us the Bible. Because we believe that the Bible was operating a long time. It was recognized as the word of God. It was being read and revered as scripture in the early church. As we, You can read Justin Martyr. You can read all these old guys who would say that on the day that they call Sunday, they get together and they pray and they read the scriptures. What scriptures, if we didn't get a Bible, tell the powers that be in 325 gave it to us? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting, and and there there's there's definitely still debates too about the Old Testament. Um, yeah, not to get on, but, but that's that's great. People people say that people say, well, the power may be going further back. Um, we could even take that argument and say, okay, let's go. This video was explicitly talking about this time, wasn't it? It was saying that basically the Bible we've got was when Constantine sat down with some of his good old boys and basically wrote down what was going to be in the Bible. And that's not at all what happened. We know that that's not what happened. Uh, so the Bible is a product of power, not faith. Question number one I would, I would always start with is what power are you referring to? And then go from there. Don't just, don't just say, no, it's not. I would, I would ask them, what do you mean? When you say power, it's a product of power. Who? Who did that? Because if they go here, they go back to Constantine, it just simply is not accurate. If they go back to the early church, okay, maybe. But... Help me, talk to me about that. What have you read on that? <laughs> Where'd you get that? And pretty soon you'll start to see that it's unsubstantiated. Because there is no point, I'm just going to say this right now, throw, put the cards all out there, there's no point in time where the church sat down and decided on which books of the Bible belonged in the canon. That never happened. Never happened. We didn't even decide. Not Constantine, we didn't even decide. I know that feels weird, but I'll show you in a little bit. So, We'd ask, what power? What do you mean? And then the Gnostic Gospels portray a different Jesus. That's not our claim. That's their claim. But how is that claim good for us? Well, that's the point. That's why they're not included. <laughs> because they portray a different Jesus. 
Remember that whole criteria thing we talked about? Uh, we judge something, whether it's true or false. <laughs> if you give me a different view of Jesus, then what am I left to do but say that A and non-A can't be true in the same sense in the same time, right? There, there has to be, one of them has to win out. And so what we would do is we go back to the earlier sources, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But this is a very important point. The Gnostic Gospels portray a different Jesus. And that's exactly why they weren't included in the canon. It wasn't like they're lost and no one knew about them. They knew about them as soon as they started showing up. And they said, that's not right. So what's the, what's the discussion? All right. So, okay, let's move on here. Remember this idea? Uh, so what criteria? Authorship and date, first century. Remember one of our criteria that we talked about for the historicity of the Bible, and we look at um, you know, uh, the, the works themselves from, from a historical perspective, we, we want to lock in that the New Testament documents were all completed within the first century. And that was important as, as their historical documents capturing events of the first century. Based on what? Eyewitness accounts. That's right. What people saw. So that whole point, if this Gospel of Peter was written in the 200s, how can it be a firsthand account? <laughs> he's too far or he's too old. I don't know, right? Okay, so then remember the theology. The five S's of orthodoxy. Does anyone remember what the five S's? Can anyone remember one of the S's? We had to go through them quickly because we ran out of time of our Mormonism sidetrack. Um, anyone remember the five S's? Or maybe you have your cheat sheet from last week. It, scripture. Which scriptures? That is one of them. Which one, though? Okay, that's great, but they didn't have that yet. Uh, well, they did, but what, 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 what we're pointing to... What we're pointing to is before we had the canon, even if we had um, the, the early New Testament books, what are, the, what are the early Christians, what do they start out as? Jews. So as the New Testament documents were being written over time, they're looking back to the scriptures for what? Theology that pointed to the Messiah. And there was nothing written in the New Testament that disagreed with the Old Testament. So scriptures... And yes, they did have some starting to circulate, but we had this gap, remember? Did these guys believe in something before uh, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John got written down? So it, it, even, if we, even if we don't throw down the other dates, but let's just say none of the other Gospels were written earlier than 66 AD, then I can't say that the believers in between this period would have relied on John, for example. That's why I said that. Does that make sense? Because John wasn't written yet. But yes, yes, perfect. Okay, so, but that's not scriptures, but that is, that is true. That would become scripture. Don't, let's not confuse it yet. What I'm, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is, is that they did have a theological foundation based on scripture. And that was the Old Testament. The same scripture that Jesus Christ pointed back to. The law and the prophets and the writings. So, they had a theological base. Gnostic Gospels portray a different Jesus. Well, they portray all sorts of other different theological ideas. So even if we didn't have the New Testament, we can compare the Gnostic Gospels and the things that they say about reality and who God is to the Old Testament. And we would instantly say, uh, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> 
there's something else going on. They teach all sorts of crazy things about the body and the soul and who God is, and there's these demigods and all this. So even if you didn't have the rest of the New Testament, but you just had what the early church had before this stuff started getting written down, you had at least the Old Testament. So they had the scriptures as a theological base. Anyone else remember one of the other uh, S's? Singing, excellent, right, that's right. They sung their theology, and we see instances of that, and we see that in Colossians 2. Uh, you know, it talks about Jesus Christ, who is, who is in very nature God, did not equate equality with God, something to be grasped, and that whole idea uh, was an early hymn, and they would sing that stuff. So we have songs that we know of that they sung before, the, before this stuff was written down. And what was another S? Does anyone remember? Summaries. Good job. Someone's got notes or they're just on it. Summaries. So they had summaries of their theology. And we see Paul using different summaries that, that existed before his writings. And he would refer back to them. So they would summarize their theology. Largely, their Christology. Who was Jesus? So when we see these summaries, they're, they're, they're largely talking about who Jesus is. Uh, any other S's? Snapshots. Great. What was that? Anyone remember what snapshots were? Snapshots were from the early church fathers, okay? So what we can do is we, uh, they, they came a little bit further, um, but what we see is that they were writing about the scriptures uh, and the things that the Christians did in the early days. Just like I referenced Justin Martyr, what did he say? He says, on the day that is Sunday, these Christians get, to, excuse me, get together and pray and read scriptures, so we know what they believed. We know what they did. And if that stuff's in conflict uh, with the Gnostic Gospels, that's exactly why the Gnostic Gospels were not included. All right? So we have theology. It was very important. All right? So this is a quote from Michael Kruger. He says, The New Testament bears incredible witness to the unified doctrinal core, in particular with regard to Christology, centered on Jesus and his apostles. A core that is, in turn, grounded in Old Testament messianic prophecy. What do you guys think about that? Anything jump out at you? So when he's talking about the New Testament, he's talking about the 27 books that we have here that are first century documents. And he's saying that they all point back to this thing called Christology, which has its root in where? The Old Testament. So they're a unified core. We can't just divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. That, isn't, that is not the right way to think about it. There's some people who are putting that out there today. I, just, I disagree with that uh, because that's also one of our apologetic leverage points that we can say, you know what? These other books didn't get included because, for one, they don't agree with the Old Testament image of who God is. And so when we talk about Christology, we can't talk about Christology independent of the Old Testament. Uh, we've got to have it included as well. Now, yes, we're going to learn a lot more about it with the New Testament as Jesus is revealed, but we still have that idea and the concept and the theology grounded in the Old Testament. Okay, So let's take a look at this stuff, the Bible. So the Greek is biblion, which just means book. So when we say Bible, we're saying book. <laughs> And it is the book, right? Uh, so in the Greek, there was another word, biblia, which the term was used to refer to codices. Has anyone ever heard of a codice or a codex? Anyone remember what that refers to? Well, 
in the old days, they didn't have them, and they started getting them, and so they needed to uh, start talking about them, and, and we'll, we'll touch on that here. But before we do, let's talk about the word canon. So our, our topic tonight is the canon. Well, the word canon means rule, uh, and it's kind of like it's the standard, all right? So when we say rule, well, we're just saying it's the standard. It has authority, but it's also it's the norm. These 66 books, that's the standard. That's the canon. That's what we mean. Uh, and so let's take a look at this uh, transition from scrolls to codex. So scrolls were long documents that contained individual books. All right, so you think of a scroll. If you took your piece of paper here and you rolled it all up into a nice little tube, kind of got a scroll. Okay, great. Uh, they would be one book at a time. So Isaiah would be one scroll. Uh, you, you, does that make sense? So you could have a room full of scrolls, but they're all referencing one book at a time. So if you take your library with you, you're going to have a handful of scrolls trying to carry them around. All right, so trick question. Uh, were, were the scrolls canonized? Well, it's kind of an interesting, weird thing to think about, huh? So let's, let's, let's put that in the back of our minds, and we'll ask about that here in just a second. So that depends on a few things. But let's take a look at the codex. So this codex, see that thing on the right there? That was the early version of what we have here. So their binding was quite a bit different than our binding. But you see on this, this big old Bible I have right here, um, oh my god, this thing is a codex, so to speak. How many books does it have? Trick question. Oh, but you forgot about the Apocrypha. <laughs> Remember early I told you this one had the Apocrypha? So we got more than 66. It should only have 66, but it's got more than 66. But the idea is, is that we can have a bunch of books tied together, and now I have one book that includes many other books, all right? So before we had a codex, we would just have bunches and bunches of scrolls, right? So this says this, with the rising use of the codex by Christians in the early second century, arrangement became more of a consideration. Think about that. Before we had the codex, what order were the books of the Bible in? <laughs> well, however they fell on your shelf. Where'd you put it last? I don't know. Wait, John, Matthew, Mark, which one goes for, you know, it didn't matter, did it? So a lot of times we get hung up when we look at our Bible. Um, true or false that the books of the Bible are in, uh, are in order from history? No, that is false, right? They're, they're, not, they're not in that order, okay? Uh, we just we just have to just understand that uh, Genesis, yes, that re relates to the creation. So naturally, it's the beginning. All right, Revelation is at the end of the book. Cool, probably one of the later, um, uh, probably the latest written uh, New Testament document. Um, but we have order issues, as we said. Mark was probably written in 66 A.D. So then Mark should go before Matthew. But our Bibles don't show that, do they? So it's not chronological order type of thing. But when I have a codex that can contain multiple books, why is, why is that an important issue? Contents and order become an issue, don't they? Because if they're floating around just as single scrolls, it's not an issue. But as soon as I put them all together and I say, these are the word of God, well, now that, that means something, doesn't it? I could make a list of the scrolls. I'm not saying that you couldn't 
say one is, is or isn't inspired before a codex. That's not the point. My point is, is now when we're arguing about the canon, specifically the canon has to do with these 66 books. Well, these 66 books becomes important when they're floating around in one single unit like that. When I've got a bunch of different scrolls, the order, all of that stuff is a non-issue. Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Okay, well, then I'm doing my job poorly. The idea, the idea is, is when you have scrolls, order doesn't matter. When you've got it all in one book, order starts to matter. But order is less important than content. Content is the thing that really matters. So if, you're, if your dog got a hold of your Bible, tore out the spine, and you put it all back together, but it was in different order, really wouldn't affect anything, would it? I'm still going to go to the book of Matthew or the Gospel of John or whatever. But now I'm missing the Gospel of John? I'm in trouble. That becomes an issue, right? Go down to Mardell's. Get you another one. Get online. Uh, ESV.org. Bibles are cheap. Okay, so uh, that became an issue. But then there's also this, this thing that got thrown out. Councils. Councils decided. So I want to take a look at two councils right here. So there is a council uh, in Carthage in 397. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, and then there's this Council of Nicaea, and we've talked about that quite a bit in 325. So the question is, did the order and contents of the Bible get decided at the Council of Nicaea? No. The Council of Carthage, which happened later on in that same century, uh, did not have anything to do with, with listing or, or, or deciding on the books of the Bible either even though it is uh, one of the earliest dates that we see a full listing of the 27 books of the New Testament, they did not decide on the books of the New Testament there. They already knew what they were recognized, but there became a very important time now to start answering the other weird stuff that was popping up. So when were these Gnostics uh, written? When were these apocryphal books, uh, not the old other apocryphal books, but these other uh, apocryphal gospels, when were they written, these Gnostic gospels? When were they roughly written? Yeah, second century, late second century. So then people start arguing that, hey, is this the Bible? Well, all up until those things were written, no one had to ask that question. But now when you've got books written in whose name? In Peter's name, in James's name. In Thomas's name, in Judas's name, Mary Magdalene. Now it's pretty important to start saying, hey, these are the books that should be. So at the Council of Carthage, what they said, they didn't say, hey, uh, I don't think anyone knows this yet, but here's the 66 books. Here's the 27 books. No one knows it, but we're announcing it today. Here's the 27 books. That is not what happened. What happened is, what, is this is what happened. They said, these 27 books ought to be read in church as scripture. These others, uh, no. They're just saying, here's how we should participate and practice in worship. They weren't saying, these were the books of the Bible. Here, 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 let us present them to you. We have now decided upon them. Rest assured, we got it right. Here you go. They're saying, you know what? No. For you out there who go to church, who practice or are practicing Christians, let it be known that these 27 books that everyone already knows, these are the only ones. That, sh that, are, that are should be used in worship service. Does that make sense? Or anyone have any questions on that? Yes. Yeah. 
They were already recognized. That's that's right. So at the very bottom on your next page, if you turn it over, it's got the blue and all this. We're about to get into this stuff. Just go ahead and write it down right now. The canon was recognized, not decided upon. It wasn't an issue. That's exactly right. It was in response to all these heretical books that started popping up. And so you got these people saying, hey, how, Peter, what? He didn't write this. This is just coming on the scene. No, reject it. Get it out of here. This book says some crazy things about Jesus. What? No, get it out of here. In church, what you should only read are the 27 books that we've always read. That's my interpretation. You're not going to find them worded like that, but that's exactly what they were saying. They weren't saying at the Council of Carthage in 397, people didn't get in a room and say, you know what, guys? Uh, we've got 50 Gospels to choose from. Let's pick 27. 27 seems like a good number. Let's pick 27. Go. Okay, top 27 are Matthew, Mark, <laughs> right? right? That's, not, that's not what happened. They were recognized, not decided upon. There is, and I'll say this again, there is no single council in the history of the church that sat down and decided which 66 books of the Bible we have. It never happened. So, let that be known. Okay, so when was the canon decided? It was never decided. It was recognized. New canon list, so 27 books. Uh, this is pretty interesting. So uh, this comes from Norman Geisler, his book called When Skeptics Ask. It says, all New Testament books but 3 John are cited by the time of Irenaeus, 130 to 202. And Athanasius, who, 367, uh, has all 27 books cited. Okay, so when we're talking about different church fathers citing different books, uh, we're not going to fully depend on that. We're going to look at it and we're going to say, okay, um, that's got some, that's got some, that's got some, cool. Uh, does Pastor Chris go through the list and cite every book that he believes should be in the Bible? And is No. And even if he did, would that be the end? No. But what their, what their point is, is they're saying that, we know that these were the books that were being cited. These were the books that are referenced. And if we collectively took them all, I could see every one of them, except for 3 John, uh, which was a disputed book. Okay, we haven't talked about disputed books yet, but there was disputed books. But by the time of Athanasius in 367, he has all 27 books cited. All right, and that's important uh, because remember the Council of Carthage? When did that happen? 397. <laughs> so 30 years later, what was, my, what was the argument that I was trying to make? That, did Council of Carthage decide on the books? No. They just recognized and just said, in contrast to these other things, these 27 books should be read. Which 27 books? The same 27 that Athanasius had already listed 30 years earlier. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the church got together and decided on which books should belong in the Bible. The political powers that be didn't do it, and the religious powers that be didn't do it. We believe that it's a, it's a miraculous thing of God that he allowed the early church to recognize his inspired word collectively, and that was preserved over time. It was never sat down and decided upon. So this is a really important thing. If you don't have that book, I highly recommend it. Norman Geisler, When Skeptics Ask, and he's got, he covers all sorts of things, but uh, this is one of those topics. Okay, so let's take a look at these books. So the question is, books left out. What about the Gospels that were excluded? 
So off to the left, you see the 39 books of the Old Testament, and you see the general grouping that we have. So you have the law, the prophets, and wisdom and history. Um, Jesus himself testified to them, talked about them. And then we have the New Testament books, okay? So 1445 to 400 B.C. Can anyone tell me what that stands for? That's right. Uh, the, the time that basically the Old Testament was written. What does 1445 kind of represent? Anyone remember what that date was? We threw that out there. What's, what's, what's significant about 1445? Very good. Excellent. 1445 is the basically agreed upon. That's roughly the best we can do to locate when the Exodus happened. Also, more than likely, when uh, the Pentateuch was written by Moses. Okay? So 400 BC, we, we, we have basically the closing of the New Testament. Uh, remember, we argued that uh, Nehemiah is probably the last book to be written. Uh, it's not the last book in your Old Testament, but more than likely the last book to be written. And that's therefore we have roughly 400 BC. So that means for 400 years, there was silence as far as divine revelation goes concerning Scripture. 400 years. Now, there are some apocryphal books that were written during that time, and what do we do with them? You can look at some of them in that book right there. So there's, there's uh, you know, uh, the Maccabees, and there's, there's all sorts of stuff that are, that are history, and that's okay. Um, we don't believe they belong in the canon, and that's, I don't really have time to go into that right now. But for our intents and purposes, the 39 books, basically, of the Old Testament range from 1445 to 400 B.C. All right? So let's take a look at the New Testament book. What's important about the 27 books of the New Testament? When were they written? First century. First century. Don't forget that. Why is that important? I want, I, you guys got to get this. You got to learn. I'm going to keep asking the same question. <laughs> Do what? Eyewitness accounts. Excellent. You guys are killing it. Great job. Great job. So first century, New Testament, 27 books. What about these other books? What's the problem here with their time period? Too late. To the party, too late. So was it a surprise when they found the gospel of Peter in that grave in 1860-something? <laughs> we didn't know this was there. We found this clay jar in 1945, you know, and this, all, what, these were lost. The early church didn't know about them. But we, we, we we're here to tell you that they exist, and they actually are the real Jesus. It's just crazy. These people knew this stuff existed. It was written during their time. Does that make sense? This stuff was written when you have those guys like Athanasius. Like he's like he's looking back. He's like, yeah, that was a hundred years ago. We know that those books have been circulating for a while. That'd be like us looking back, you know, a little later, but 150 years ago, Civil War type stuff. Say a book, Darwin, uh, The Origin of Species, 1859. Are you all familiar with that book? Maybe you haven't read it, but are you familiar with it? Same idea. And that would be like saying that book was written the same time that the United States was formed in the 1700s, Declaration of Independence, and then Darwin's book. Why isn't Darwin's, you know, why aren't you quoting it? Well, it, <laughs> it wasn't around yet. And we can look back and we know about the United States and we know about that. There are two totally unrelated events, all right? So the Gnostic Gospels, uh, were written in the second century, which disqualifies them from being connected to eyewitness accounts. And why were they left out? Well, they were to the party too late. 
They weren't even there. So think of this idea. If you would have asked someone in the early church, okay, if you would have asked someone, let's just say, uh, we'll draw a line right here. Let's say, I don't know, I'm just going to pick a, pick a date. I don't, doesn't matter. But early church, 125 AD, all right? If you would have asked someone from that time, why did you choose the four Gospels? What do you think their response would be? What other Gospels? They were eyewitness accounts. Did you have any other options? There's, that would be like asking, why'd you, Nathan, why would you choose your parents? Why don't you choose some different ones? You didn't have another option. The four Gospels that we have are first century, and when we start talking about these are the Word of God, there were no competition. There was no other documents floating around except for there's a Gospel of Clement, which was also very, very late first century. We don't have time to get into that. Uh, but the four Gospels, it's like you don't have, that, that's, that's it, okay? Okay, that, I, sure, I believe, I believe that God has protected us over time, and I would, I, I, I'm on board with that. So, this idea, I want to, I want to, I got this idea from uh, Michael Kruger, and he says, uh, basically, what's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? What's the difference between those two? Ooh, very nice, very nice. So this one gives you feedback. This can give you feedback too, but that's outside of our conversation. This one doesn't do anything. It just tells you something, right? It gives you feedback. It responds in a way, all right? It says the room's uh, heated up, whatever's heated up. Here you are. There you go. Cool. This one actually has control. It can actually regulate. This one responds. This one regulates. This, on its own, does no regulation, does it? So think of the early church as uh, this. They're responding to those early writings, recognizing their inspiration. They were not regulating them. Think about that. Some people will say the early church decided on the books of the Bible. They did not decide on the books of the Bible. Think thermometer versus thermostat. They responded to what God was doing. They were not the ones who regulated or controlled what God was doing. All right, so we zoom out here. Here's our picture. We've got the New Testament, the Old Testament, 66 books, and then the other Gospels. What about the Gospels that were excluded? Can anyone tell me, and I want this in your mind, um, anyone tell me real quick, why were the Gnostic Gospels excluded? Give me a couple of reasons. We've put a lot of them out here tonight. Anyone tell me just two reasons? It's heresy, absolutely. What's up? Uh, one at a time. Raise your hand and I'll pick you. <laughs> yes. Ooh, okay. All right. So they're to the party too late. Okay. Absolutely. You, do you have something? He's Awesome. Awesome. Give me one more. We got. Yes, Kevin. Ooh, great. Different Jesus. Those are, do what? They were Mormons. That was a little later. That was a lot later. Well, 1,600 years later. Uh, those are all really good answers. 
don't ever let anyone bully you out of holding to those answers because that is absolutely true. That, that it wasn't like, hey, we don't like these guys. Yeah, we know him. He owes me money. Now his book ain't getting in. No, these they had legitimate reasons for excluding these. You start talking about their date, their contents, their theology. What are we talking about? If I have a physics book and you got some junk, I'm, that doesn't get out of here, right? You had something? Sure. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, they're real books. Yeah. Yeah. Um. They're they're uh they're they're imitations. You know, they they take on names that that don't actually belong to them. Um. Peter did not write the Gospel of Peter. Where was it in the early church? You have no, you have no early church fathers citing the Gospel of Peter. Why? <laughs> it didn't exist. So they were books that showed up later. They were real books, uh, but they did not make the cut based on the criteria that was already established, namely Christology. Namely Christology. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your, what's your, are you making an assertion or making a point? Sure. Uh, okay. So his, his, the argument he's making is basically carbon dating. So carbon C14 dating methods we use, we, we dig up stuff and we, you know, put a Geiger clown around it and see how much it clicks and, and we figure out, uh, okay, how old is this stuff? Uh, well, that is one way to do it. Um, I'm not sure that's exactly the main way that they do it with the, with the documents. Um, there's many other ways to verify basically what, what time period it comes from, what's the materials, the condition of materials, uh, the writing style, all, all of those different types of things help us. Um, but within uh, 150, 200 years, I think you may be able to come up with with some sort of uh, an argument, but I don't think it would be the strongest argument to make. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have to. If I just rely on Christology alone, I could say it's it was written the same day as that other book. Cool, but it's wrong because it disagrees with what we say is Christology. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so we can see that, oh, you know, this is the sort of thing that people at that time would have made up later. Yep. Yeah. No, that's right. The, and uh, there was a uh, uh, Dr. Evans, um, maybe I'll show some of his videos later, but he, he's, he's, a, he's a teacher, I think, at Houston Baptist Seminary. Um, and some of his students say, hey, hey, hey Dr. Evans, why weren't, why weren't these other Gospels included? And he says, go read them. And then you come back and you tell me. Every one of his students, he says, that goes and actually reads these Gnostic Gospels says, yeah, clear, got it. Crazy stuff. Jesus killing kids. And yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of weird stuff. 
Yes. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll actually talk about that here. There's a list right here. Yes. Why did they write them? I don't know. I, I'm, too, I'm too ignorant and too far removed to determine motive. Uh, there's something going on. I, I, I don't know. But all I can say is that they're wrong. Uh, they don't meet the criteria. I'll, I'll, he's the father of lies. So I'll go with you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sure. Did God really say... So maybe maybe that's enough said there. It, it's it's decently accurate. This all man, we can get into the whole scientific thing about the equilibrium of radioactive materials in and out of the atmosphere. We don't have time. So there's there's debate uh, there's debate within the scientific community of how accurate it is. I'll leave it at I wouldn't depend on it for a couple hundred years, and it doesn't matter anyways. Um, okay, so let's move on. We're running out of time a little bit here. So you see this list, and you've got it right there. It's up here. But recognize books. The four Gospels, Acts, Epistle of Paul, Hebrews, 1 John, 1 Peter, and Revelation. Those were the, those were the, the you know, what was kind of started as the canonical core, all right? Uh, disputed books, James, Jude, 2 Peter, uh, 2 and 3 John. People said, uh, not sure what to do with these, okay? Disputed meaning they're not heretical, but we're struggling with them, Okay. Uh, then there were rejected books, Shepherd of Hermas, uh, the Epistle of Barnabas, and First Clement. Remember I mentioned Clement earlier? We would say uh, those books just didn't make it in. They weren't not only disputed, they were actually rejected, saying, nope, this doesn't fit, doesn't fit the criteria. Yes. Oh, this is early, early, early. This is like kind of the whole development. Where, where we're kind of, how are we arguing through these? Yeah, no, Carthage, Carthage was way after. Um, remember, by the time Carthage happened, we're, we're good. There's no discrepancies. We're good. Okay? Uh, so then there's some heretical books. Uh, quiz. What does orthodox mean? True. Good. What does heresy mean? False. Perfect. It doesn't necessarily have to do with Greek Orthodox, whatever, you know, or it's true and false. So heretical books means false books, okay? Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter, and the Acts of John. They weren't just rejected. They were saying these are actually bad books, false books, garbage. So let's zoom out, and you can see on yours right there, but look under that first, uh, in that first column. It says, the canonical core was orth of Orthodox books was firmly established by the middle of the second century. That means that there, 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 uh, there's no discrepancy about these, this, this core. These are the ones circulating. That was authoritative, being read in, scripture, uh, in, in services, in worship services. All right, next column, disputed books. While these orthodox books, true books, did not gain immediate and universal acceptance, they were known to most. The idea is, is that most people were using them. But there were still some who disputed them, who were like, I don't know, it could go either way with this one. Thank God we weren't dependent on man. Okay, but that's what was happening. We're just being honest. This is what happened. These were disputed. No one disputed them for their content, 
They weren't they weren't saying, "Hey, uh, that's that doesn't that that portrays a different Jesus." That wasn't the case. All right, um, we're, when we're dealing with inspiration and which books really should belong, uh, so the I I, I love uh, the idea in the next one because I think it kind of helps us think a little bit about this. So rejected book, Shepherd of Hermas, an Epistle of Barnabas, and First Clement. These are generally orthodox books that were rejected from the canon but still regarded as useful. So the example that Dr. Morrow gives, he says, C.S. Lewis might be quoted in church today, but not as scripture. All right? And he says, early Christians made careful distinctions. The idea is that we can have good books that are true, they speak the truth, but they're not inspired. C.S. Lewis has a lot of really good things to say, and I use him quite frequently. But I do not look at his mere Christianity or the great divorce or any of the other great works that he's written as scripture. So I'm going to reject it. Doesn't mean I don't like C.S. Lewis. I love him. Great guy. But it's not scripture. But then the final distinction to be made in your far right column is the heretical books. These forgeries are not to be read and are not orthodox. Uh, did uh, did we get to the part in the video where it says that uh, that there was another council and uh, I think it was 382 and this this guy says uh, you can't you can only read these books and I'll kill you if you read all the other ones. okay so that idea is really important um, because what we're saying is that th that remember that list we said these are not to be read that list at Carthage later, 397, that was what we were responding to. We we're saying, these are, there's some heretical books out there. The only books that you should view as scripture are these books. As far as the New Testament's concerned, these 27 books in response to those heretical books. Uh, I've got a couple of books that I highly recommend um, as we wrap up here, but on that topic, church history, so this is Bruce Shelley. Really, really good book on church history, and it says church history in plain language, and it's awesome. And it goes into, into a lot of these details, um, but he notes uh, that, whole, that whole issue uh, with, with, with that church, uh, with that leader, uh, Theodosius, uh, who, who he, he, he's the one who basically killed uh, a bunch of people and was kind of trying, trying to formalize Christianity a little bit too much according to what he thought it was supposed to be. And he was a Roman ruler that ruled after Constantine. And uh, he's, he basically said at one point, no more chariot races, and uh, ended up going to the Colosseum and killing 7,000 people for having a chariot race. But he was a Christian. And so that documentary is like, hey, look, that's a good example of a guy you know, trying to control Christianity from his power, uh, place of power. And, but, but here's, this book uh, gets right to the heart of it. Ambrose was another church leader. So there's a difference between political leaders and church leaders. Constantine, church leader or political leader? Good, great job. This guy, uh, Theodosius, political leader. Was he a Christian? He claimed to be, did some crazy stuff. Ambrose, church leader. Ambrose told him, uh, this guy, he refused to, uh, the emperor communion until he had confessed his sin. Uh, he went out and was like, dude, what you did was wrong. What you did was murder. You were not going to come to hanging out in the church with us, acting like nothing's wrong just because you're the emperor. He was so bold. He stood up against them. The emperor could have killed him. But he's like, I am not going to give you communion. You're, you've got to repent. Don't come here like that and acting like nothing's wrong. You just killed 7,000 people because you got mad at them. You kidding me? So there's a difference between political leaders and church leaders. Don't muddle the two. 
Sometimes they'll try to do that to us. Highly recommend this book. Let's keep going. We're almost done. All right. So remember the canon as covenant. The, since the Old Testament witness suggested a tight relationship between covenant and written text, it would be natural for the earliest Christians to anticipate new covenant documents. Uh, and that comes from this book by Michael Kruger, uh, The Question of Canon. And the idea is, as we see here in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's this covenant idea. The New Testament should be recognized as covenant just as the Old Testament is recognized as covenant. But it's the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does Mark start out with? Mark is the earliest one. What does it start out? Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the covenant of Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind, okay? Um, we don't have time tonight, but go home and YouTube Michael Kruger on the canon. He answers a lot of the very, very common questions that get thrown up about the canon. So take a pin out. If you, if you have one, write down Kruger on the canon. YouTube it. Uh, so this video is from the Gospel Collation, uh, and it's, it's really good, uh, about eight minutes long, and goes into um, some of the really good stuff. He is, like I said, one of the, the most recognized scholars on this. He's written uh, several books. The Question of the Canon is one of them. The Heresy of Orthodoxy, which is another book I recommended last week. Uh, so we'll skip this today since, uh, for our time. So let's summarize real quick. The Canon existed before any council listed, council listed all 66 books. Constantine in 325 did not decide on the 27 books of the New Testament. Nicaea said nothing about the canon. Don't let anyone tell you that it did. It has nothing to say about the canon. It's about the divinity of Jesus Christ. Canon uh, lists were created in response to later emergent heretical writings. They showed up to say these ones and not those ones, not which ones are these ones. Does that make sense? These ones, not those ones. <laughs> But these are the ones we've always had, but we've got some new stuff coming up. So let's just remind ourselves here, these are the ones that we should use in script, uh, excuse me, in services. All right? So keywords and ideas. Codex and canon. Content and order were important when we saw codex and codices start being developed. The New Testament documents are first century documents that were known to most. The Gnostic Gospels are late heretical writings. They portrayed a different Jesus, remember? And the New Testament uh, canon should be viewed as covenant continued. Covenant continued. And then the idea of intrinsic view of canon. The canon was recognized, not decided upon. And we see that in uh, the, the Chicago Statement uh, of, of Faith, Article 9, 10, um, and 11. And uh, if anyone is interested in what those blanks are, I did not go through them, and I don't have time to. You can come see me, and I can give those to you. Uh, Chris loves his blanks, and he's not here to give them to you, and I'm not sure you would have gotten them anyways. <laughs> but that's what that is. So, uh, And here are, the, here are the books that I recommend for this week. Uh, the first one is The Journey from Text to Translations, and it gives you the whole story of that whole process, and it's really, really interesting. It was uh, one of my textbooks that I really loved. Uh, the Question of Canon I just spoke about. I also have this one up here if you want to come check it out. Uh, the Canon of the New Testament by Metzger. Really, really excellent resource as well. And then I still want to throw back up uh, Questioning the Bible by Dr. Morrow. Uh, I used his graph tonight. And um, I think for the common man, that is one of the best books that you can get a hold of if you're not really interested in going into the, the nitty-gritty details. I recommend you do that. 
this one's a great primer to it. Um, easy access, easy read. So those are my book recommendations for this week. I have two of them up here. Uh, I had enough books to bring with me tonight. Also, if you want to come check out my little small artifact collection here of some old Bible stuff, you can. But let's, let's pray, and then um, we will be dismissed. I thank you, Father, for this evening. I thank you for your word and that you've preserved it and that you've given it to us in a way that we can understand in our own language and that we can have confidence that it is actually what you mean for us to know about you. I thank you, Father, for our church. I thank you for all the beautiful things that you're doing. And Lord, I pray that you help us recognize that just as you gave the early church fathers work to do in their time, that you gave those men and women and people like Athanasius who would stand up against heresy, that that's our job too. And that we would not only stand up against heresy, but we would first learn what orthodoxy is. What is the truth? Who are you and what does your word say? Father And Father, I pray that that becomes our mode of continuing and growing in holiness, that we would know your word and through it know your holiness and how we might strive to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the work that your spirit is doing in us to conform us and to change us, to illuminate your word, to help us understand it, and to help us put it into practice. Father, I pray that you use these things that we've spoken of tonight to strengthen our faith. Even if we don't use it to answer the skeptic, I pray, Lord, that it can be used to strengthen our own faith and our trust in you and that we know that you are a good God that loves us. I thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.